I'm just trying to create boundaries. Black mamas don't do the elbow <laughs> Black daddies either. Renee got told that yesterday. But <laughs> <laughs> he was still the daddy here. Before they get in your What's up, what's up, good people? Welcome into Montgomery and Company. I'm Renee Montgomery, and I'm excited because we have our second RMF Career Day coming up this weekend. And here's the thing. We try to give you the good, the bad, and the ugly. Our theme is sports tech this year, so we're going to have all the jobs that could be in that world. We're going to have some people representing those worlds in it. Of course, on MoCo this week, we have our newsroom. We have trivia. We got the legendary Jamel Hill, who is the most unbothered human, but the most outspoken. And we love to see it human on social media coming through. We got a lot going on. Juju also dropped some new music. So go check that out. There's a lot happening. Check us out. Not this week, but every week. Let's go. Today is November 10th. It's two days past Election Day. And it was really interesting to me because I'm very much on social media. Everyone knows that. And so I saw a lot that social media could possibly play a role in the midterms and all these different things. And I'm like, well, interesting that people are acknowledging that we know that. And I'm sure that it's because of the takeover that's happened and the different viewpoints that's been going on. And to that point, people are asking me, you know, like, what are my thoughts and all these other things? And I want to give people context because I have thoughts, but like, talk to me nice. You know, Elon Musk over there demanding his $8. Yeah, but pay me my eight. Of course, talk to me nice because when Netflix lets us know that they're going to be raising our prices by $2, $3, they do it. They write it nicely in an email. They tell us the prices are going to be going up and we're like, ah, we don't have a choice. Come on, Netflix. But then we pay him our extra money. So what's going on now, though, with this Twitter takeover is a little bit interesting to me because... Obviously, we know that there's some inappropriate things being said by Musk. We know that his platform is just not great as a whole. But then I saw some tweets from other people and how they use Twitter. And so I want to bring that to the attention of what about journalists? What about business owners, small business owners, even media platforms, entertainment companies? Social media is a part of the business. Like social media is a part of the business model. Every week we talk to you guys and release directly to social media to you guys. This right here is going on Twitter. It's going on Snapchat. It's going on TikTok is going on everything because it's direct to consumer. That's what Twitter is. And that's what's so tough about this situation because quitting Twitter, you know, I saw that Whoopi Goldberg announced that she's leaving Twitter amongst some other celebrities. And that's great. And I, I don't blame them for doing it. Like if you want to leave, shoot, you should leave too. But I don't think that it's as simple for everyone to just leave Twitter. Some people's whole business model is on Twitter. That's how they sell to customers on Twitter. That's how they build their platform on Twitter. I'm a person that I use Twitter to connect with people. I use Twitter to ask questions. It's my focus group. You know, I ask Twitter certain questions about what do you guys think about this? It's things that I need to develop on my end that I'm using Twitter as just a straight up focus group. We use Twitter again with Montgomery and company to release. So it's tough because, you know, raising the price, I was already a part of Twitter blue. You know, I think it costs what, $5 a month. I don't remember even what it cost beforehand, but I was already doing that because I don't like typos. And so it allowed me to have that 30 second grace period to where 
the typos didn't matter. I Oh, I saw something. Let me grab it real quick. So I was already paying a certain amount, which is why I use the Netflix reference in a sense of companies do raise their prices from time to time. But I think the problem that we're all having is how the Twitter takeover is happening. The fact that there were so many employees that lost their job and how it happened. And then again, who took over Twitter? That's the tough part for me because it's like, do I want to be a part of you know, at the end of the day, that is Elon Musk Twitter. You know, I saw a lot of people saying, look, we've been here since, you know, for me, 2009, we're going to let somebody run us out of here. And it's like, you know, I feel you. But at the end of the day, this is this is a different Twitter. You know, this is a different takeover. And so am I or am I not leaving Twitter? I mean, for me, I don't think so, because it's a part of again, the business model. But for me, it's a part of how I connect to people. I'm a person that I'm not outside all the time. Not at parties. I'm not like keeping up with everyone. This is how I keep up with people. This is how I see somebody post something on Twitter. I'm like, yo, congratulations. Nancy Lieberman just got a street and a statue named after her over there at Old Dominion. I found out that through Twitter and I got to congratulate her and connect with her through Twitter. You know, and so it's just interesting that. I understand the the different feelings. I understand the people that want to leave and the people that do want to leave. Good, leave. You know, I, I'm not mad at you for leaving, but also people have to understand there's an other side of it to where people just can't up and leave. And that's because it's a part of their job. So as I see everything going on and I see the different situations unfolding, I always like to bring attention to that. Everyone's situation is different and it doesn't mean that people feel different. We are back at it, MoCo Newsroom. We're going to talk about everything going on. Who wants to get us started? Well, I'll jump in first. Let's get it, Cole. One of my son's favorite players is Tyreek Hill, and Tyreek Hill has entered the MVP talk. So yes, sir. right now he's tracking to hit 2,000 yards, and so I, my son will be excited about that. But the bigger thing is, is that there's never been a wide receiver who's received the MVP, so it would be just awesome if... He does receive it and break that ceiling for the wide receivers and put them back in the conversation with everybody else. Yeah, man. Tyreek Hill, whenever he left the Chiefs, there was so much conversation of not knowing what it would look like. Everybody knows that he was going to be good. No one could have predicted that he would have been targeted this many times. He got Tua looking amazing. Shannon Sharp said if he hits 2,000 yards, like they better start talking about that gold jacket. That's what Shannon Sharp said. But it's just a very crazy feat that you don't really see I mean, wide receivers never won an MVP. I'm shocked about that as well, though. You and me both, because I would have thought Moss or yeah, uh, don't get me don't get me uh, started with how many I know wide receivers that could be in that conversation. But definitely at least Moss. I mean, I would have thought that he he would have been a part of that talk, but. Hopefully he makes it because my household will be happy. My son will be <laughs> elated. Fans is trying to track some yards too because we're going to the Super Bowl this week. So let's just continue this conversation. QB1, QB1. Shout out to my nephew, Vance Young, QB1. His Biddy League team has been, I'm talking about these kids is turned up, okay? Whatever you thought you knew about Biddy Ball, I call it Biddy Ball for basketball, but whatever you thought you knew about Biddy League for football, basketball, whatever it is, 
It's different. They got highlight tape. <laughs> They're turned up. They got chance. They are engaged. They have this a homecoming. Is, they have oh. a homecoming. This is a serious <laughs> thing. And my nephew, QB1, has made it to the Super Bowl. It was hard Cole gives us updates all through the chat. The fan was pulling yes. for us. So we got a nephew heading to his first Super Bowl. We love to see it. Shout to Tyreek Hill, too. What else we got in the newsroom? What else we got? Well, I guess I'll go next. I received some information about, you know, I don't do gaming and I really would like for my grandkids to push away from gaming so much. (laughs) But, you know, it's out there and it's just astonishing the amount of money that's flowing in this gaming stuff. So uh, this Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 has surpassed one billion dollars of sales Ooh, in the sheesh. first 10 days. Good That's crazy. They've done That's this. That's crazy. The fastest in franchise history, I'm sure. Wow. But at any rate, <laughs> over one billion matches played. One billion. I mean, are these crazy. kids doing their homework or what? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Because see, I'm an educator. When do they have time to be playing all of these matches during school time? There's adults playing. You can extend that, Ma. You can ask: Are the kids going to school? Are the college students in the college? You can ask if adults are going to work. Mm. Are adults are going to class? Yeah. The adults working. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know back in the day, like I used to play Pac-Man. <laughs> We would play that kind of a lot. You know, we would be playing Pac-Man. So maybe this is the same. But what hurts me so bad, it's this warfare. And I asked one of our producers about this. Oh, I said, Lord. Uh, when you finish playing that, how do you feel? And he said, angry. So I can imagine some of these kids, they have attitudes. That's legit. When they finish well, playing wait a minute. Stuff, maybe. Can we give context right. to why he feels angry? I thought it was because he wasn't the best at the game. He's not mad at the game. He's mad that he wants to be better at the game I thought <laughs> that's that's the truth that is the truth okay well maybe I misinterpreted that but anyway more let me just finish here more than 200 million hours 200 million wow. hours I know these kids are not doing the homework now like, when I read that I knew it highest grossing entertainment opening in 2022 Highest. Wow. Yeah. Well, let me tell you this. I that's I see why Cardi B was mad now because you know <laughs> Cardi B was supposed to be on this game and she was supposed to get paid millions of dollars to, mm. to like, whatever they were going to ask her to do to do in this game, but she had to go to court. So then they mm. picked up uh, Nicki Minaj, and so that caused a little bit of a, a stir as well between Ooh. those two. Wait. So two. is this is this wasn't that is Call of Duty the same thing as Modern Warfare? Yeah, it's called Call stuff? of Duty Modern Warfare. Gotcha, that's the whole name gotcha. of it. So yeah, okay. that's what see, happened. I don't even know enough about these video games i have to ask crazy (laughs) listen the only thing that i do like about the video games and i will say like that i I, i'm a mom and it gets annoying but i do like how like the cousins always kind of stay connected because angel he plays with his cousins in boston and he plays with his cousins in delaware or maryland and all parts of the country and i do like the connectivity of it you know even though it is annoying when they get loud and i have to tell them to keep it down yes yes so if 
if you hear her in the background, Cole, that's Sam, by the way. If you hear well, if Serena she hears in the background me. yelling. <laughs> if she hears me, I'm like, true, true. And, then, and, and sometimes me and my sister, we do talk. But my, my sister in Boston, her um, her son Ian plays it oh, too. Yeah. And then sometimes I'm like, is that Jasmine's voice that I hear? Like, that <laughs> and the kids trying what? to play the games. First of all, the kids trying to play the games. And here they go talking to each other <laughs> on the game while they trying to play. And, and, and speaking of celebrities that Cole was like mentioning, I want to just list the name because you talked about they made one billion on that first 10 days. Well, let me tell you why they needed to make that one billion, because there was a number of celebrities featured in the trailer for Modern Warfare 2. Lil Baby, Nicki Minaj, Minaj. Pete Davidson, <laughs> Kane Brown, Jalen Ramsey, David oh, Long Jr., Lando Norris, the FaZe Clan members. And if y'all don't know about the FaZe Clan members, they're a very big gaming group, have high, high name, image, and likeness, especially in the gaming world. So just to name a few of the celebrities that's that were... one of their pictures on the cover, is it? <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> that's frightening. I look at my kids' room. I look and I say, oh, no, you're not playing that because that looks frightening to me. <laughs> it'll, it'll scare your baby sister if she comes in here. Well, listen, you make a good point, Snookabook, because these games be so realistic that yes. when you was watching the trailer, Serena will be like, is this a real show or not? But like, baby, this is a game. Okay. Yeah. They look like real people. Yeah, when we were watching the commercial, I'm like, wow, this is a big commercial. What is this for? And, and it was just a whole bunch of celebrities. And then at the end, it said Call of Duty. I'm like, wow. Yeah, it's wild. Mm, scary. They putting in some real numbers too much. to it. It's too so much. that's gonna bring me to my if that's if that's all you got, Snicker Booker, that's got, gonna Sam? bring me. Well, actually, let me go because since we talking numbers, oh, okay. I wanna pop up in here and talk some numbers right quick. Okay. So y'all know me. I like to I like to see what happens in the money game, the sports business world, the business world, all of that. And there's a lot, lot, lot going on in the sports world. In particular, there's a lot of major sports teams on the market looking for a new owner. Having sports teams available is a big deal. And I want to list off some of the teams that are available right now. Can we put our nickels together to get any of them? Oh, listen, we're going to have to, we gonna have to do a lot of nickeling together. A lot of nickeling and diamond. We're going to have to crowdfund. We're going to have to, we gonna have to go fund me. All of that is going to have to take, you know, they say it takes the community. It really would have to take the community for this. Village. Listen, to, listen to these numbers. So as we know, in the NFL, the Washington Commanders are up for sale. Bidding war, to say the least. I've seen names of Jeff Bezos in there. I've seen Jay-Z's name in there. Recently, Kevin Durant said, hey, look, in a perfect world, I would be one of the owners. And that's not far-fetched for KD because he has a whole 35 ventures where they do this. Shouts to Rich Climbing. So the Washington Commanders' valuation is $4.78 billion. Mm. And I think that it's going to go up. I think that that's the starting bid. And I think that there's so many interested parties that it's not going to stay there. So that's the first one. And I don't know what's going on over there uh, in D.C., but not only are the Washington Commanders up for sale, but the Washington Nationals are up for sale for a whopping. We got another one. Two point two three. That's a B billion dollars for sale. Wow. So there's two Just teams. Think in- if they were winning teams. Scary. All right. Because that's <laughs> yeah. a good point. Snook a book of that. You don't even have to be doing well. Even <laughs> going back to the NFL team, the Washington Commanders, there's lawsuits out. There's all kinds of different things going on. And that team the marketability it's through the roof everybody's trying Mm. to buy it so that doesn't matter because everybody wants to take a team over rebuild rebrand and do their thing so a lot of movement going on in dc but not just there 
LA entered the chat. So the LA Angels, they're for sale for 2.5 B again, Snook Book. I don't know about them wow. pennies rubbing them pennies together, but <laughs> another B, 2.5 billion. And then we go to Phoenix. So it's been widely publicized, again, with the Washington Commanders, what happened with their owner, and the same with the Phoenix Suns and the <laughs> Phoenix Mercury. Their teams are for sale. This Again, this is not normal people to have this many teams for sale. Their teams are for sale for $1.92 billion. I want you to see the differences in the leagues, too, because the NFL is one of the highest money-earning brand sponsorship collaborations in American sports by far, because I know soccer overseas can have some high numbers, but... The NFL is killing it. For their team to be a valuation of 4.7 and then an NBA team to be 1.92 billion, it just tells you the differences in the leagues and what their nils are worth in those leagues. So we got the Phoenix Suns, the Phoenix Mercury for sale, which I have heard different talks that people may want to start splitting up sales when it comes to an NBA team and a WNBA team to see if there may be an owner that may be more engaged on a WNBA team than an NBA team. But for right now, they're both for sale. Then we have the Ottawa Senators, which is for sale for six hundred and fifty-five million. So we finally got our first wow. M in the in the chat for <laughs> what the teams are for sale for. Just recently this week, it was announced that Liverpool is for sale, and that's the soccer team that, at a certain point, I think they were the fourth highest marketability team out there. They're for sale. LeBron James. I know people may remember that LeBron James bought two percent stake in Liverpool. Long story short, there's a lot of sports franchises for sale and with the ownership groups. And that also makes me think about Magic Johnson has now won a championship as a member of four different pro teams, the Lakers, wow. the Dodgers, the Sparks, and then LAFC, who just won the MLS championship. So ownership and athletes go together. We always kind of see that happening. And I love to see that happening. So even if a Jeff Bezos wins the bid for the Washington Commanders, I really do hope that kind of in the same sense of what happened here with the Atlanta dream, that there's somebody in every ownership group moving forward that was of that league or of the understanding of that league. Even better if it was an athlete. I'm not going to say that each ownership group needs to add an athlete in there. I'm just saying you could. It wouldn't hurt. It would make you better. It would make you more diverse, more understanding, help you understand the inner works of it. So as I just see all of these teams for sale, wouldn't that be something that if each group added in a representative, I'm going to just call it a representative of that sport. Let's just see about that. I don't know. I just want to say one thing about these uh, teams, and especially the Washington Commanders, because I'm in Maryland, so I'm right, <laughs> across the, right across the beltway from them. I would love to be a person just to walk into... Just the boardroom. It doesn't even have to be the people who are trying to buy it. But just to hear the conference call of the people who are running to buy the Washington Commanders. Oh, it's a big call. Well, well, you know, I just got to hear because I'm like, what? Two point what billion? What? Four point seven eight billion. Four point seven eight billion, and that's uh-uh. just the start off point. Called uh-uh. the See, commanders are going for more. Well, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, we know that uh, Mr. Musk bought Twitter, and it's kind of dwindling down. Some, some problems there, but if Jeff Bezos were to buy the Washington Commanders, at least you know he could get his ticket sales up on Amazon. <laughs> Snooker, Booker. I mean, you know, he can get it out there. I mean, that's the thing, though. I, like, so for me, it's going to get interesting, too, because 
Jeff Bezos, as Snook is alluding to, is the owner of Amazon. What happens when Amazon has Thursday night football games and one of their owners is the Washington? Is- I was about to say, isn't that a conflict of interest? I was thinking about that. Like when you <laughs> own a media and you are responsible for like, can that even exist? Or is he going to have to? Well, see. If he buys it this year, maybe Amazon only has it for one year because if he's going to buy the team, then it has to go back to somebody else. Maybe it has to go back maybe, into the pot and Maybe it could be else. like me. You know, like when I was looking at becoming an owner, obviously I couldn't be a player and an owner at the same time. And so I knew that I was going to retire to become an owner. So maybe it's that understanding that I don't know. Getting Thursday night football is a big deal for Amazon. So I don't know if they would want to trade that in to have sole ownership of one team, because then here's what I think, too. All of our games, our local games for Atlanta Dream are broadcast on Bally Sports Southeast. And so here, that's our local. Well, the Washington Commanders could have all their games on Prime. So there is ways that he can move around to where if he didn't want to just have only Thursday night football, he's like, yeah, we'll walk away from that. He would have to step down. But I do see that he could make every Washington game on Prime. And you got to remember, Cole, everybody like right now, the Commanders are maybe at a ground zero point. They ain't going to stay there when somebody puts some no, money, no, 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 some no. energy. I just wanna, no, I'm just saying, I'm talking about whoever heard four point something, something billion and said, yeah. ha ha, let's jump in there because <laughs> some of the, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear A the lot. conversation of the people who are just like, oh, it's only 4.75 billion. I don't even care if it's Jeff Bezos. I want to hear the people we don't know that yeah. jumped in there Look, and Kevin said Durant 4. was 7. like 4.75. I want to be the owner for that. <laughs> I, I know. Uh, I see what you're saying. I just said, I want to be on that conference call when they get the sheet and they start running the names off of people who put the bid Same. in. Because I want to be like, can we be, why can't we be <laughs> Exactly. And aren't you, you're watching the Wrexham show. How much did Ryan Reynolds oh, say that he goodness. was spending on his team? So Ryan Reynolds. Oh yeah. He didn't tell his wife he bought that team. Club. I heard about that. Yes. And I love the show Wrexham and it's about the Wrexham AFC team that they bought. It was a second division club or maybe third division. I can't remember. They're basically picking the team up and trying to elevate them into the first league. And just so people know, a concept that happens all the time overseas is you have to earn your spot in the first league. So if there is 12 teams, hypothetically, in the first league and you're that bottom 12th team, you could drop down into the second league and then the number one team in the second league goes up into that 12th spot of the first league. So that's how a lot of sports in general happens overseas. It happens mm. in basketball overseas, not just soccer. Like I've been on overseas teams where a team has been in the second division and moved up to the first and vice versa. So that's a very big concept. And I heard that the NBA might be testing that out soon to where the NBA commissioner doesn't want teams to tank. And the Victor sweepstakes, and that's for that uh, a player that has a crazy, could add up to $500 million value to a team that he goes to. And so they're calling it the Victor sweepstakes, who is likely to be the number one pick in the draft next year. But the commissioner doesn't want people to tank. People, of course, are going to try to possibly tank for Victor, but a way to combat that is the NBA said that they could play around with the concept that if you are the last team in the rankings, you could drop down, basically, and different things of that nature. I don't know all the workings. They probably haven't figured it out yet, but it's a very, very common concept overseas to where the last place team goes to the second division and the first team in the second division moves up. Well, back to Ryan Reynolds, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to keep moving up. So they bought the team when they're not in the first league, but they want to develop them. They poured money, made a whole new stadium. Their stadium was the oldest stadium 
period. Like it was, he was like, that's <laughs> a gift and a curse. He was like, yeah, we got the oldest stadium, which means we got history. But to him, that meant price tag. So Serena's asking me about the price tags because I love seeing but how, how much, much did he pay and how much has he spent already? Yeah, it's like so a crazy amount. I don't, I mean, the, and don't, don't quote me here, but the numbers for just the stadium alone were like sixty million to redo the stadium and different things of that nature. So you see, and they bought the team for like ten million or something. Yeah, right? they bought it for something around there. And so you you think that you're buying the team, like you said, for that four point seven eight billion. But Roy wrote in the chat, the Commanders need a new stadium. So even when you buy that four point seven billion valuation, that's only the start point. You know, but even I thought that the stadiums were actually done by the uh, the owners and the leagues and stuff like that actually put the didn't did we talk about that before? Yeah, Maybe there I'm is wrong. no, there's city funding and different things of that yeah. nature, but there's also plenty of money that comes out of your pocket. Like yeah. the city is gonna be like, even if let's say it was fifteen million dollars, the city might pay twelve million. That's still three extra million dollars that you may have to come out of or other things working. So at the well, end of the, the day, it says here that they have made a two million pound investment in the club under the terms of the deal. Two million pounds. Yeah, so that's like two point something. Shout out to Ryan Reynolds for just giving up two million dollars without taking out his wife and she ain't who took that $20 it's Apple so took fascinating it. <laughs> it is really so fascinating because now they have a whole TV show and he's a marketing genius and he's figuring out ways to offset his prices. So they got sponsorships where he's doing TikToks and for Expedia and all of these different things. They have a TV sure show that is. airs right now called Wrexham. So I'm sure that those are dipping into it. But ownership is a real commitment. So when we see that these major teams are on the market and the prices that they're for, I mean, shoot, shouts to Larry G. He's our majority owner at the Atlanta Dream. It's a real investment and commitment that you have to have when you go into this ownership. So may the odds be ever in everybody's favor. We're going to move along to Serena. That's mine for this one, that there's a lot of <laughs> legacy building on the line right now. When you see ownership availability, that is a family legacy that can be in your family from years and years to come. So when I see that, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of opportunity out there. Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, speaking of, of opportunity, while we're still on the subject of Hollywood, John Leguizamo, I don't know if you guys know the Latin actor. Yeah. John Leguizamo, he, he played Bruno and Encanto and all that. And He's been countless other movies. And so he wrote an open letter to Hollywood, which I think was interesting. It was in the Los Angeles Times and uh, it was addressing the representation problem in, in Hollywood, basically. And he starts the letter off saying, you can be as talented as Marlon Brando or Ingrid Bergman. You can write like William Shakespeare or Arthur Miller. You can have the on-screen presence of Ryan Gosling or Jennifer Lawrence. But if you look Latino or if you have a Latino last name, the odds are against you in Hollywood. I'm not talking about white or white passing Latinos. I mean, indigenous Latinos. I mean, Aztec, Maya, Inca, or Taino. I mean, Afro-Latino uh, or any mix thereof. More often than not, the Latinos you see on screen are white or white passing because Hollywood is drenched in colorism. So the thing as a whole is eye-opening. Well, to some, I would say if people are not of the black and brown communities, you probably are not, aren't aware that there is a representation problem, but there is. But um, I'm not really caught up in the words of the letter, but just the act itself, like the boldness of him writing an open yeah. letter to Hollywood. You know what I'm saying? Like Definitely, while he's still yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. He's still a working actor. But he has a right to. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind yeah. of like it's kind of like Amanda Seals, though. 
everybody has a right to, but she said, you don't see a lot of people doing what she exactly. doing. Exactly. A lot of people speaking up. It's like for him and Amanda Seals to do that while they're still actively. They could get blackballed. That's that's a giant risk for, for them to take. And I guess he feels a responsibility because he names a few Latino actors. He names Benicio del Toro. He names uh, Jennifer Lopez. And he says, it's not just us. There's a, there's a whole bunch of other, you know, we're just some of the few that made it out. You know, like he, he was saying that some studios, they'll have the excuse of, oh, well, it, it won't perform well if we cast an indigenous uh, actor or something mm. like that. I'm so saying that's free speech isn't it but yet <laughs> right but charlton heston was jesus what what did charlton heston mom <laughs> moses he played moses so i, I want to hear that because we always hear it won't fare well when you have indigenous people trying to play the opposite side of the right. you know situation scenario but you know when you have other actors who are white completely white actors who are going to play black actors latin mm-hmm. Actors and all mm-hmm. these other actors, they don't have no problem with that because you know that's not really an issue. You know that's not a problem. Roy uh, wrote in the chat, Scarface, and he actually did uh, call out Al Pacino. He called out a few actors who are white actors who have played uh, Latino roles. He included Ben Affleck in there for the movie Argo. He played mm. a Latino a man, and uh, yeah, so so he definitely calls people out by name and says, "Wow, yeah, that's these people bold. painted the yeah he they painted their face." is brown that's again here we go back to telling the truth that's his truth and what he feels and so why would we come down on him it's for, not a truth it's a fact that oh no a lot of people are celebrating him for sure i mean really that's oh, yeah. beautiful that's dope yeah I a, mean, lot, a lot of people are celebrating this because a lot of people speak on it but it's almost like about time that somebody from hollywood who's in it who he doesn't necessarily have to speak on these things because he is the Latin guy that is casted right. in the movies if they need a Latin guy, you know, or Latin actor. And I wouldn't even say that because he's a great actor, not just a great Latin actor. But he doesn't have to speak on these issues. But it was like, okay, about time somebody spoke on this because just being part of the Latino community, you, there's not enough roles out there for people of color in general. And I know that even when I was auditioning, I would have to audition for roles that have an accent. Uh, I, I think I've auditioned for like a food truck lady before. I've auditioned mm for you know like like service jobs that yeah. you would see a latino person in, and i had to put on an accent i couldn't talk with my regular whatever kind of accent i have right now because i don't even know it's like between atlanta and new york i don't know but basically you just almost all of the roles that were bigger roles and still are that is for and it says caucasian or caucasian uh female caucasian blonde ca- you know this or that so I know for a fact that I cannot pass as a white woman in Hollywood. My hair and my tan will not let me. And so, (laughs) you know, it was hard to get casted. And it still is because it's hard to fit in any of these boxes because you can't try out for, for necessarily, you know, like, like, I would say other roles that you could you could say maybe like uh, what what is the word that you use the ethnically ambiguous yeah because I don't you know you don't want to take away opportunities from other groups you know there's already enough black actresses that don't get enough opportunities so how are they going to cast a Latino girl in a mixed you know black and white role when I'm taking I, I wouldn't feel right you know what I'm saying to your point. You're absolutely right, because the only group of people I personally, and this is my personal opinion, that they stay true to is Italians. If it's a Mm -hmm. mafia movie, it is a record number cast of Italian people Mm -hmm. who play in mafia movies. If you look at like The Sopranos and you look at like all these Italian mafia movies, they really do try (laughs) to keep true to Italians 
for those movies. But you don't see that everywhere else. It's not, you know, portrayed in every other, it's in every one, but we got to have some diversity, but you don't really have to have it in Italian movies. And so it, it is hard. I can see where it's hard. And you're absolutely right. I didn't think about the, you know, the ethnicity and, and ambiguousness. <laughs> Roy is in the chat. Marlon Brando's <laughs> Italian. James Kane. I don't know how to say his name. <laughs> yeah, James no, Kane. Italian. <laughs> no, no, no. But I'm saying is, is that if you look at all the people who are like in those movies, other than those, some, it's like everybody has some type of Italian something. You could tell mm-hmm. somewhere in them they yeah, have like Italian. Somebody, and, and, you know, to that point, like when they do cast Latino cast members or anything like that, as part of, uh, you know, like I, I know the different dialects because I'm part of the community. So I'll be like, that person does not have a yeah. Mexican accent. <laughs> that person does not have a Colombian <laughs> accent. I'll be like, they need to do better with casting. Like, because a Latino person can tell when yeah, the person is not Dominican or Puerto Rican or Colombian or Mexican, Ecuadorian, whatever, you know, like we have different dialects, even Puerto Ricans and Dominicans and Cubans who people like to compare our accents are to each other. We'll be like, I don't talk like them. They don't sound like us. You know, like everybody has their own dialect. So they do, you know, to that point, you know, when, when they have like movies that are made of mafias and things like that, they probably have somebody who really knows their, that culture to make sure that is representative of that culture. And I don't know if they necessarily do that with Latino no cast. Denzel Washington talked about it. <laughs> he talked mm-hmm. about that same thing, being true to what it is. And you can't yep. put someone in situations and have someone be a producer of something they've never, ever, ever been a part of. They Literally. don't understand. Like, so like the movie in the Heights. I love the movie. This is the last thing I'm gonna say. I love I love I'm from Jackson Heights. I'm not from Washington Heights, but Washington Heights definitely has it's it's a part of New York that's like full of Dominicans and it has its reputation. The movie In the Heights, I love what they were trying to go for, but I didn't feel like it captured Dominicans in the Heights. Like, nah, I'm sorry. She's I'm Dominican and I'm, I'm from another Heights, but you know, it was like they had, <laughs> they had an Asian director and I felt like that was a little bit of a disconnect. It was a director of Crazy Rich Asians and I thought that that was a little bit of a disconnect. I know that he's a great director, but I think that there was definitely marks that they missed in the movie and that's I mean that's going back to the representation matters it's a very broad statement but if you know you know and so Serena understands the different languages the different groups I'm the sitting there watching yeah. it the dialects I, I'm sitting here watching like oh, okay it's Spanish like you know what I mean but if you know you know so for the cultures that you're trying to represent in a film if it's not actually that culture they know the people that know know and so it goes the same for any other fill in the blank culture or and that's why that also goes to my point of in the ownership box is actually having an, an athlete or a representative that has actually been of that sport or actually been involved in it because if you know, you know. You know. All right. That's all we'll say. Mm-hmm. And that's going to wrap up our MoCo newsroom. But just leaving this nugget, representation matters. And if you know, you know. And if you don't know, get somebody that knows. up next we have the author okay we know all the things Jamel Hill is but now you better talk nice to her and say author behind her name her new memoir Uphill is out now wherever you can get your books get ready for the greatest roast of all time the roast of Tom Brady a Netflix live event happening May 5th 
Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The new author of Uphill, a memoir, Bajamel Hill, of course. So congrats. Why did you decide to write it now? I'm just curious because I feel like you got a lot of accomplishing to do. Yeah, I can see why you would say that. And this was not the book I wanted to do. I didn't want to write about myself at all. But it got to a point where my literary agent, he started to really have an honest conversation with me. He was like, well, the market says they want to hear your story. And I mean, to be totally candid, it was the money that convinced me to do it. Where the money was at, where the money was at. Where the money was at. It was like, mm, yeah, I'm going to have to rethink my position here. But I'm so glad that I went through the process. Uh, it was a difficult book to write. I mean, I, I really didn't um, have the idea in mind that I would share so much. I knew that whatever I wrote, I wanted to be in control of my own story, to write my own narrative, and to be as transparent, honest, and as personal as possible, because that's what a memoir is supposed to be. And yeah, there was definitely some tough stuff to write about. But now that the process is over, I'm so glad that I was able to go through this journey. So yeah, I mean, I can't believe it. Like I, I still haven't had that moment yet where it's like really sunk in. I feel like the moment it's going to sink in is when I'm at the airport and I see my book up on a display. I'm probably going to lose on. my mind. There you go. There <laughs> listen, you go. I feel like, listen, as a family, everybody listening, we need to just grab a copy. When you see one, grab oh, yes. one. Let's start to just <laughs> make that the energy Absolutely. for real. Like we've seen other cultures do it. Just I just want to start that kind of culture. Oh, I already see it on the New York Times bestseller. It's already going to okay, be Okay, let's there. claim it. Yeah, Come yeah, we're, on. we're already speaking. Let's claim it. Speaking let's it. speak it. And speaking of, of writing that, like, was it difficult for you to go back into, you know, retell those memories? And I know that you said you went to therapy on a, on a dare. So were these <laughs> things, which is, which is, you know, kind of crazy to say, but were, were these things, you know, therapeutic for you to write about, you know, like, or, or, or you know, how, how do these memories just come about? Yeah, when I, I started the book that way, saying that I went to therapy on a dare because my mother, you know, her and I, and, and you all are a family dynamic, so you know how this goes, especially between mothers and daughters, is that, you know, there can be very um, complicated dynamics to our relationship. And so I, when I gave my mother some pushback about some things, I'm just trying to create boundaries. Mothers don't do well with those. Black mamas don't do well with those. Actually, I call everybody out, but I'm just saying. Well, black daddies either. Renee got told that yesterday. <laughs> but he was still the daddy here. Uh, <laughs> don't care what okay. she said. Well, I'll just say parents in general. <laughs> they have a hard time adhering to boundaries. And yeah. so whenever I would give my mother pushback about certain things, she would say that she thought I was still angry and that she thought there was still childhood trauma that I hadn't dealt with that was surfacing in our relationship. And I mean, honest, I thought she was really wrong. She still was wrong, but that's beside the point. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I went to therapy before this book was even a thought bubble. And it was very eye-opening, just not in terms of me being residually angry, but just learning 
having a better feel for how I unpack things. And so a lot of the trauma that I wrote about in the book, these are doors that have been closed for years, if not decades. Right. And they weren't closed because I hadn't thought about them or dealt with them. It was just, to me, that part of my life was over. And I didn't want to relive a bunch of it, to be frank, but that's not what a memoir requires. So I not only had to relive it, my mother had to relive it as well, because I talked to her at, at length about some of the stuff in the book. And, you know, that part was hard for me because I'm sort of asking her to relive what are some of the worst moments of her life. Yeah. And that was those are not easy conversations, but I felt like it was very good for both of us to go through it. And the one thing that I've said to people when they've asked me about what I want people to take away from this book, one of the key ones is while your people are still here, learn as much as you can about them. Mm. There were things I did not know about my mother before I started writing this book. And it really made me miss my grandmother because my grandmother died in 2010. And I realized there was so much about her life I never asked her about. And part of that is that when you're the grandchild or the child, you kind of have a selfish way of thinking because you're the one used to being taken care of. You're the one that you're used to being the center of your mother's or grandmother's or grandfather's of your people's eye. Yes. Like it's focused yeah. on you. And right. as a result, you don't ask as much mm-hmm. about them. Some of this are memories that they may not willingly share, but I would keep asking so that you understand their personal histories. And frankly, when you run into those inevitable situations where your mother, your father, your grandfather, grandmother, whoever, where they're going to make mistakes, it allows you to see them much more empathetically because you know more about their life and you know what they've struggled through and been through. And it helps you understand how you were parented. So that was one of the major things that I thought came out of this book for me. Wow. And and you see them as human, you know, because sometimes mm-hmm. you don't even think about your parents and grandparents as like people. You kind of, oh yeah, they're just your parents. But, you know, when you hear their experiences, it's like, wow, they're they're just people just like us. They're humans. Yeah, just I mean, like they us. lived a whole life before you were here. Exactly. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. They Absolutely. did it. And so it's good to ask them about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you feel the need to like anybody that was going to be in the book? Did you reach out to them beforehand and let them know like, hey, just a heads up. Like, did you, <laughs> did you, did you like, reach out to everybody like, hey, this little story, this little story over here? <laughs> well, yes, yeah, some people. I'll say this. The people who are still in my life, I did. I gave them a heads up. Certain events, I went back through it with them to make sure that I remembered it right. And just to see how they would be okay. I tried to be very careful about telling other people's stories. And that's why in the book, you know, my ex who I was impregnated by and had the abortion. That's why I never said his name because I don't know who he's told that story to if he shared it with anybody. And I didn't want to take that power away from him. I can share my story. It doesn't have to really involve him. And so I changed his name to protect the innocent, as they say, or not so innocent because he wasn't the the greatest boyfriend, but that's what's at the point. Um, But uh, yeah, I, I did have to have some conversations with people just to, just from that standpoint. But There's a lot of people who, frankly, are not a routine part of my life who are just going to have to be surprised. And then that's just... They're going to just just deal with it when it comes. They're just going to have to deal with it, yeah. (laughs) And so, like, you know, you're very vocal on social media and there's a lot of people that maybe don't like how vocal you are. Did it make you uncomfortable almost that so much of you is out there now that people may use that against you just in any type of argument? Like, I mean, even just now, you drop that, okay, I did have an abortion with my ex-boyfriend 
And some people may use that as ammo. So was that a concern or is this tweet still going to fly? I know that tweet's still going to fly. (laughs) Well, listen, there's already been things that people have said about me. And if they want to use my personal history as a method of attacking me, I think that says more about them than me. Mm -hmm. I shared it with the world now because I felt that people would really learn a lot um, from the experiences that I've, I've had. And if people want to use that to try to denigrate me or denigrate my family, then again, I think it exposes more about them. So at this point, I think so much has been said about me that um, I can't say that they really often come up with any particularly new material. Um, <laughs> she said, do some homework, get some new material. Get some new stuff. Get some new jokes, y'all. Like, okay, I get it. Calling me a racist never gets old, but it is kind of like, okay. Um, but uh, but even with, even with the, uh, the abortion, I mean, I wrote about it for The Atlantic before the, mm-hmm. um, the book you know, even was in paper, well, like before it had even been put in bound form as a way to be a precursor to what I would write about in the book. And predictably, there was a lot of people who were very critical, especially given that I explained why. And the reason I felt like it was important, especially at this moment in this country, abortion has been a huge issue. We saw Roe versus Wade being undone. And I wanted to slightly change the conversation or advance the conversation beyond just a trauma standpoint. So much of the conversation around abortion is about rape, incest victims. And I'm Mm -hmm. not saying that there's no place for that conversation. Obviously Mm -hmm. that conversation needs to be had, but the majority of women who have abortions have them because that's just the decision that they made. And with me being um, in the position that I'm in, you know, people probably would not put me on the list of people who they felt like probably had an abortion, but as the conversations in our country have increased. Me and my friends are talking about this more. And I shouldn't have been as surprised to learn that more of my friends had than I suspected. And even after that piece ran in the Atlantic, women in the sports media reached out to me to say, I did too. And here's why. And so I felt like it really opened up a lot of people's minds about who they feel like deserves an abortion and who has one. You know, I think for that matter, we have to lift the shame off of it, you know, yes, in my opinion. And absolutely. so that's that's why I decided to share um, that as honestly as I did. And I go into even more detail in the book. Wow. So we're talking about people that were speaking out. And I saw a clip where your hubby read the acknowledgement <laughs> where he said that, you know, you would write all night and then you would get in the bed. And I read that you would put your arms around him, but he said he's the big spoon. So I need, I want to settle this debate right settle here. Settle it once for all. Huh? Once for all. Because you, you insinuate that you was the big spoon. And he was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> so what's the truth? Okay, so here's the truth. The truth is usually when we start off sleeping is that he is definitely the big spoon, right? Because he's six foot two, right? So he's cloaked around me or whatever. But at some point in the night, he turns over and is faced away from me. And so I turn over too, and then I become the big spoon. So it's like, we both spend our time. It's like a 50-50 split about who is 
<laughs> it was the big the spoon. Big spoon. So, <laughs> right, because when I would come into bed, he would already be asleep. So his right. back would be sort of face toward me. So then I just, you know, just snuggle up under him and wrap myself around him yeah, or whatever. Yeah, he was like, maybe you should have added that part. He was like, just so y'all know, okay, I think spoon right. over here. I know. I was like, I don't know why he I wasn't trying to come for him. I was just like, no, just at this point in the night when I get into bed, you're faced in a different direction. So that's no, all. But he, but he also said that he wants to speak into existence something we brought up that you are the New York Times platinum bestseller. Yeah, so I want to almost happen. put your mind in that mindset of what are you doing once you read it, once you hear it, once you get that call? What are you doing when that <laughs> moment happens? <laughs> well, I appreciate you all helping me manifest this because even though it's one of those things where it feels like I've never been somebody who cared about awards or validation or anything like that, but with writing being my career, having a book one, and then for it to make the bestseller list, or I'll be honest to even be reviewed by the New York Times. Like we're still waiting to see if that's going to be the case. That's a, one of those monumental kind of moments that you can't even imagine. But as a writer, I mean, I think it's so gratifying because that means I've written something that's connected with people. And that's what you look for is that I want people to be able to relate to this, which is why I've told everybody, like, if you buy one for yourself, buy one for a friend so y'all can discuss it. Or a book club. Book club. Exactly. Yes. Oprah, holla at me. Stocking stuffers. Exactly. Let's start to make it a culture. <laughs> yes. Um, the culture of support. Definitely. Yes. Because, you know, all my friends who have books that are coming out, I insist on buying one. I was like, I know I'll get one in the mail, but I'll in I insist on buying one because I, I definitely want to support. But, you know, for me, it would just be just extremely meaningful, especially considering how personal the story is. I mean, I think if it were another type of book, you know, maybe I wouldn't care so much about manifesting, but because it's about specifically me and my family and my story, it would just make it that much more you know, meaningful if, if I made the New York Times bestseller list. Okay, so listen, we still continuing this, speaking it to existence. Are you popping bottles to break <laughs> generational curses? You going out oh, yeah. with your friends? Like, I want to know, like, how do you celebrate when you get such an achievement? Because not very many people get on that type of list. So I want to know, like, Jamel Hill, what's the turn up for you when you get on that list? So just so people know, the way it works is that I think believe in a given week, you have to sell between 5,000 and 10,000 copies to make the bestseller list, right? So depending on what city I am, because I'm going on book tour next week, that's depends, nice. determines the, 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 the turn up. Oh, okay. <laughs> like okay. if I'm in DC when this happens, there's a little um, establishment I like to visit called Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> so you may see me at Stadium and those okay. of you see know what Stadium is. And, uh, <laughs> you, know, you may see me there. Uh, and if I'm in Atlanta when I make it, well, you oh. might see me at another. I'm coming to Atlanta, I think November <laughs> You know, 14th, you may see me at Follies. I don't know. <laughs> yes. I love it. I love That's it. That's very smart marketing. <laughs> that book tour, we pulling up to that too. I don't know if Snook knows what Follies is. Snook, do you know do you know what Follies is? Please don't tell her, y'all. Oh. <laughs> Wait till I'm going and then y'all tell her. <laughs> we'll tell her after the show. Tell her after the show. I want to read a headline to you because we're talking about the New York Times bestseller list. And I saw on Forbes.com that a Trump political committee bought 131,000 worth of books. Four days later, 
Jared Kushner hit the bestsellers list. Your thoughts? So here's the thing. You're supposed to not be able to do that because like if you have too many books that are bought by one entity, because listen, I mean, I, I got a few friends. Some of them are like, well, why don't we just buy them all? And then you just buy them. like, what? No, no. But I, I was told that you're not supposed to be able to do it, which is why I think people are kind of calling it out now. Like they have very strict rules around it. And I, I'm thinking because it came from a political organization. Like if you want to buy the book in bulk and let's say um, you were president of the university and you want to give one to all the students, I was told they didn't necessarily count that the same as they do um, how they Individual tabulate the sales. other sales. But apparently hmm. maybe that might not be true. Now, I'm not suggesting somebody go out there and buy 5,000 copies, though I'm not but stopping you do. But if you do. Maximum we can buy because if you got a couple of friends that's going to buy some, and what's the like, how can we support that it counts? Like, in a sense of like, I'm just it, 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 we it, trying it, to get to the book, it, will count. it will count definitely. And uh, you know, if you want to hand out some to the Atlanta Dream, it will count. Okay, <laughs> so, you see what I'm saying? Because we have the career count. day with our foundation, we have career day there where we go. give out different things, we have a that basketball counts. academy. So, I'm just saying it out loud too, in case the people are listening. In case we buy a large amount, then we got a basketball academy, a career day. We got pro <laughs> teams. Okay, Correct. we want to yes, support. So that that will all count. <laughs> Amazing. There we go. Yeah. Okay, yes. so we talked a little bit about it. It being a like it's a generational thing here at Moco, and we mentioned your generational trauma. But like, I want you to elaborate on how does as a community we almost look at our trauma as shame in the same sense of that you're saying in Roe v. Wade. So. You just kind of met it head on, which is different than our community. Can you just talk about like what that looked like for you in healing process? So, I mean, I don't think it always looked this way. I think as especially as I got older, more mature, saw more of the world, saw that some of my same friends, a lot of my friends were in similar dynamics and situations, either, you know, with their parents or whoever it was that was a, a key staple in our their lives. You know, it's just what you said, Renee, like it was it was a lot of shame. And I think from a generational standpoint, that we have to be willing to kind of take the cloak off the shame and talk about whether there's a addiction history, a sexual abuse history, domestic violence, all these issues that happen in our own families, but often it's met with silence. And that's how the problem grows and persists and winds up being passed down. You know, it was really clear thinking about and studying the histories of my mother and my grandmother, that there were generational trauma threads and not just with them, my aunt, you know, some of my grandmother's other brothers and sisters, some of my mother's siblings, there was very specific things that you could see the through line. And I could see how those things impacted their relationships and also the lack of healing between my mother and grandmother and how it impacted our relationship. And so I think that as families that we have to be courageous enough to want to deal with those things and and come to those conversations solution oriented. You know, this can't be a, a relitigation of things that can't change all the time. I think it's important that we enter these conversations, obviously respectfully, but also with the understanding of trying to learn as opposed to trying to get your point across, like maybe trying to learn. And in that way, you'll feel like it was a much more healing conversation. So I think it's really opened the level of communication between me and my mother. And the one thing I think that was helpful is that even though there were some patterns that were still existent between my mother and me that were there with my mother and grandmother, my mother was always very honest about the things that she was going through and experiencing. 
And because she was, I definitely carry shame as a child to be poor, to have somebody who is in the throes of addiction and have to deal and navigate around that, you know, growing up, but with both her and my father, you know, she was always honest about the situations and circumstances she was facing. And once I got to a point where we really could have really honest conversations about it, the shame was not necessarily there for me. I think the hardest part has been, honestly, my mother forgiving herself. And that's been a roadblock in our relationship. It's been hard because I've forgiven my mother years ago. Like, it's been a really long time and have felt that sense of forgiveness. So it wasn't one of those things where I just said it and didn't mean it. Like, I really did. I really did forgive her. But I think it's just been harder for her to forgive herself because she felt like as a result of some of the things she experienced that she missed so many moments and she can't get that time back. And so now the where it creates sometimes some friction in our relationship is like her trying to make up for that time. But I don't know how to help her make up for that time because it's gone. It's gone. Right. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. that doesn't mean we're not you know, close or anything like that. But, you know, we live a a few thousand miles away from each other. And I I know that there's this desire for my mother to feel more involved, I guess, in in my life. And I'm not keeping her at a distance. But the offshoot of growing up the way that I did is that she raised a self-sufficient, independent person. (laughs) And so I have to figure out what that looks like in in this current dynamic. And, I, you know, to be honest, I haven't really truly figured that out. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, Jamel, in our culture, I was raised by older individuals, my older grandparents, and their thing was always, you're on a need-to-know basis. I'm the adult, I know, and you don't need to know. It wasn't necessarily that they had any things that were troubling them or whatever. It was just the way of the culture. Kids didn't need to know everything that was going on in adult lives. So it might not have necessarily just been your mother or whatever. It might have been the culture the of, the of the time that says that children should not be involved in adult issues. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're very, you're right about that. And that is why it is so hard to have those discussions in the family, because I think there is that idea that everybody shouldn't be privy to certain things. And I'm, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, kind of deep, dark, personal secrets, although I guess there's a a place for that. But even seeing some of the elders in your family vulnerable is not really something that we experienced growing up. It's like, you just, you didn't even see that part. You might see some anger, you might see some outbursts, but you know, you didn't see your grandma just crying for, you know, like, like none of that, you know, cause they knew that they had to be strong Strong, and and fortified. And well, listen, I, I know people mean it very complimentary when they call black women in particular, say the strong black woman, that's great, but we're not superheroes. Right. It's like we cannot deal with all of the things we are sometimes forced to deal with. And I think it's okay if we let people know that, because sometimes we need to save ourselves before we save everybody else. And we sometimes at the expense of ourselves try to save other other people. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, you're right. It's it's definitely kind of that mentality is there. But I feel like especially the more our community openly discusses mental health, 
that these things are becoming less taboo and that people are able to, to do that. You know, I would just say, you know, to asking, you know, your elders and your mom or whatever, just about how they grew up. It doesn't always have to be sad memories. Yeah, right. yeah you want to know what you were like when you were a kid or, you know, what were you passionate about? What were you interested in? You know, what did you want to be if you didn't, maybe if I hadn't interrupted it? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> right. Life yeah. interrupted. Yes, exactly. So you want to get a sense of just who they are. And I think that's why it's really important to always have this dialogue present in a family. It's interesting because you mentioned in your book that one of your mom's favorite stories is about your birth and your birthday is December 20th, correct? 21st, but she, the labor started the 20th, technically. Okay, so the 21st, which we love a good 21 around here. Um, <laughs> I'm curious because I'm a December baby, but I'm way further away. What's the combination of Christmas present, birthday present? Is it one gift or what's it looking like from your end? 21st, it's like, I don't know, Jamel. I'm sorry, but you got to get one gift, boo-boo, at this point. (laughs) No, no, no. The one thing, so my grandmother's birthday was December 22nd, right? So we went to bed. And one thing she hated was people who tried to combo gift, which is why (laughs) she made it clear from the beginning to not have one gift. She told everybody, listen, you buy something for my granddaughter, it better be two gifts. Birthday, Christmas. Those are two separate events. I know it's only four days apart. You see what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) So everybody I've dated, my mother knows this. They all, I've been getting separate gifts my whole life. So no, don't try to run that combo gift up in here. (laughs) Listen, I'm just checking. And then one other thing. So we're both Sagittarius. And when right. I say that, that means something to people. I'm a December 2nd Sagittarius. I'm on the front end of it. She's December 21. You are on the very back I'm end of it. on the back it. end, yep. So, but, so considering that people even thought we were the same person for a long time, <laughs> we're both Sagittarius. What do you know about us Sagges that you would say is distinct if you know those type of things? So, uh, you know what? I, I like a, a lot of people try to make the distinction between November Sagittariuses and December Sagittariuses. Wow. And I've got to be honest, I don't know if it's really that distinct. But what I would say generally about Sagittarius is that I know of is that mm-hmm. we're definitely free spirits, for sure. Blunt, definitely, <laughs> can be the life of the party. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> no lies. Yes, we're outgoing, you know, kind of people. I would also say, uh, too, we're extremely um, compassionate, hard work ethic. But I think the free spirit part is probably one of those uh, traits that it's like, I, always, I think your best trait can sometimes be your worst trait For at sure. the same time. You know, I'm, I'm very much a, a free spirit. So my husband likes to mess with me. Uh, he's like, <laughs> you just walk around just so unbothered. Like, <laughs> he's not, he, I mean, he's not like bothered by everything, but he definitely can get riled up about stuff. And I'm just like, <laughs> why, you know? And so I can be very extremely laid back to the point where I know it probably irritates him with how laid back that I am. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I'm, I'm definitely somebody who doesn't think traditionally. So I'm very much a non-traditionalist, especially when it comes to the roles that people often assign to women. And so, yeah, I mean, so I, I think those are just some of the general traits like about our sign. You know, people, it's, it's funny because, uh, you know, people always talk about the signs we like don't get along with. I feel like that's not a long list for Sagittarius. <laughs> Definitely not. Uh-uh. I don't I know mean, any yeah. humans. People might not get along with me and I don't know it, but I don't really have very many humans I don't get along with. with the you. reason I'm asking is because when we talk about a memoir, 
Uphill, a memoir by Jamel Hill. When we talk about that, we're you talking about the person and there's advanced praise for Uphill on the back of it. And so <laughs> I want to just kind of talk like the people that are on the back. Gabrielle Union, New York Times bestselling author. Just so you, we speaking it all right. I'm going to yes. say that a lot of times yes. so that we can keep <laughs> speaking it. But Gabrielle Union, Jamel Hill's commitment to truth telling is unparalleled. Whether she is exposing white supremacy or being Radically transparent about her own history. Jamel's resolve remains steadfast. Then we got Soledad O'Brien, friend of the show. Okay, yeah. Jamel Hill's fearless reporting and advocacy for truth. You're going to see a theme here. She said blunt. So I'm saying she talked about <laughs> things that she is. I'm talking about what people see that she is. Okay, Sunny Hostin. Okay, Emmy Award winning journalist. Jamel Hill is an undeniable force. Her fearlessness has helped her break countless glass ceilings in her career. Okay, these things that you talked about, Sagittarius, we're still hearing them. This is her. Tamron Hall, now come on now, award-winning TV host and journalist. <laughs> she on here already too, y'all. I'm just letting you know it's already on here, all right? I've long admired Jamel's firm view of who she is and what she stands for. I knew that when she was ready, the world would need to hear it. Okay, that just goes on and on, but Jamel Hill... Uphill, Jamel Hill is unbothered. Jamel Hill, I'm just saying, Jamel, right. you are. You don't a, need any more reason. You don't need to any any more right. reason to check out a memoir. Listen, we're supporting this as a family. We're going to RMF Cole. You're. We're going to get these for career. We're going to get these for everybody. Okay. You get a book. You get a book. The next time you're on here, you'll see that book in my background. Thank you. Yes, I gotta make sure. I gotta make sure I sign a copy for you. For I'm sure. gonna say too. I'm gonna do a PSA. Anybody that ever sends me a book, y'all better sign it so I can flex. Okay, <laughs> right. That's a, exactly. That's a flex. But we're gonna buy the books. To your point, we're gonna buy the yes. books. We're gonna buy them as a family. This is just the culture of support that we're gonna start. Jamel, thank you for joining us here again. Thank you all. And it, it, I really appreciate uh, you all having me on to discuss it. And, you know, I hope that people out there who read Uphill, they're able to, regardless, your circumstances don't have to dictate your life. They really don't. You know, you can create the life and vision that you want for yourself. And there were many a times growing up where I didn't think I was going to get an opportunity to do that. And so thinking about the totality of everything I've been through, I just feel very blessed to have been able to to see and do some of the things I've done and to build this career and life that I have now. So I uh, hope people, you know, get to, they read this and they, I'm sure we'll probably walk away with a bit of a different perspective. So I'm, I'm curious to hear the feedback. <laughs> all Love right. It. And we'll be waiting for the second memoir 40 years from now because of what all you will have done in that amount of time. Get the book, people, please. Jamel Hill, Uphill. Coming up next, listen, we have a very competitive family, you guys must know. So when we play Moco Trivia, it gets a little heated, okay? We're talking money. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? 
what do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. All right, all right, all right. We're back at it again with some MoCo trivia. This time, we're going to do trivia on most expensive athlete purchases because y'all know we like to know where the money reside, where the money reside, okay? So we have a very competitive group here, so we're going to go round robin. I don't know who's going to start. How should we do it? What are y'all thinking? Because this is a competitive group. We're doing two rounds of questioning. Let me go first. Okay. I'll go first. Okay. I end up losing anyway. Oh, I was going to suggest youngest to the oldest. <laughs> well, Cole already jumped out his first. So who's second? <laughs> well, I guess I'll go second. <laughs> <laughs> Snooker book is bringing up the rear. So here's the rules of engagement. I'm going to ask everybody two rounds of questions. Then we go into the sudden death round of questions after that. So if there's somebody tied after the first two rounds, then each person, we're going to go pound for pound, blow for blow, one question at a time, sort of like the weakest link. Are y'all ready? Come on, Cole, let's get it. All right, question number one for Cole. How much did LeBron James buy his house in California for, okay? A, $20 million, B, $21 million, C, $22 million, or D, $23 million. So we know we're in the 20s here. How much do you think LeBron James paid for his home in California? And here's a hint. Russell Westbrook just bought a house across the street from LeBron James last week, and that house was around, I believe, $22 million. Just throwing out some clues, even though you don't need one. Comps? Some comps. That's what it's called. I'll say A, because by the time he bought his, it probably the cost of inflation has went up. So I'll say A, 20. Cole's answer was A, 20. Oh, and that snooky, is... Snooky, snooky, shaking your head already. I, she ain't even... T- <laughs> <laughs> Snook had like, she know the answer. You know the answer, Snook? Oh, I was going to say 23, but... So Snook and Cole would have both been incorrect. The correct answer is C, 22 million. The comp is right on par. So Cole... That's that. Roy Lord. Roy just said in the chat that Russell better get ready to sell. He's yeah, probably not going to be on that team for a while. Listen, he's an LA guy, okay? So Cole got that answer wrong. We're going on to the second. Shocking. <laughs> We're going on to Sam's second. What is the name of the house that Joe Montana bought? For $35 million, what is the name that he named his home after he bought it? A, Palacia, Montana. B, Montana House. C, Montana Home. Or D, Villa Montana. Hmm. 
I don't know why Villa Montana just has like a nice ring to it. It kind of sounds like <laughs> Hannah Montana a little bit. Hannah Montana. I like Hannah it. Montana. I like it. Villa, Montana. I, I'm going to just say Villa Montana just because I like that name. Is the final answer Villa Montana? Yes. And if it's not, then he should have chosen that name because that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm agreeing. He should change it. <laughs> well, he doesn't need to change it because that is the name oh, of his home. See, that's a D, good name. Villa Montana and Cole shows her displeasure. Snooka Booker, here we go for your first round of questions. How much did Tom Brady's Miami house cost? Okay, so we up in the Levitard and Friends world in Miami. How much did his his Miami home cost? A, $15 million. B, $17 million. C, $19 million. Or D, $20 million. How much did Tom Brady pay for his home? I'm going to say C. That is incorrect. Tom Brady paid $17 million for his Miami oh, pad. Wow. Okay, so we're yeah, back the first to... Thing, only $17 million? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm just Did kidding. Did she say only for <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm completely being sarcastic. I mean, when you hear the comps, she's not going to be wrong. And Roy mm. said he probably would have been part owner of the Dolphins if it wasn't for the Flores lawsuit. So then again, mm-hmm. that that's true. Just so people know, he did end up going to play for Tampa Bay. But we do know that he was planning on being the Miami Dolphins owner and there was a home involved. Okay. Well, no wonder they said uh, Giselle just bought one for $1.5 million, uh, her new home since the divorce. $1.5? So. Yep. Wow. <laughs> like, that's really a thing. I mean, yeah, she's like a bargain shopper. I like that. <laughs> so we're cool, back like, after, after the first round. Sam is the only one with a point. Sam oh won Snook and, Z- Snook and Cole's now. tied at zero. All right. So let's go here. Cole, now... Y'all know Iso Joe from the NBA. We used to call him Iso Joe. Joe Johnson played for the Atlanta Hawks. I want you to guess, Cole, how much did Joe Johnson pay for his special Ford truck? Okay. A, $100,000. B, $300,000. C, $200,000. Or D, Four hundred thousand. How much did ISO Joe pay for his Ford truck? B three hundred thousand. I'm going with the three hundred thousand. Okay, so ISO Joe, <laughs> Roy said that can't <laughs> be the Ford F one fifty. Ford. It's not. At you least know these. What? These athletes, when they get a car, they that's just the baseline. Right. They soup it. <laughs> they soup that thing up. You started at 100000 I'm like, what Fords are starting at hundred k? I don't even know. <laughs> and Joe Johnson's Ford, he paid C, $200,000 to soup up his Ford truck. Cole is still sitting at zero points, baby. Snook is already mad for the question she might get. This is so funny about this group. It's like Snook saw Cole's question and got mad instantly that of what she might get. Sam, we're moving on to your question. Sam trying to help people out. When- so, Sam, we want you to tell us how much did Antonio Brown pay for his Rolls Royce. Is it a Wraith? I'm pretty sure that's that's how Oof. you say it, right? It's, a, it's the Rolls Royce Wraith. And for the people, if I'm not saying it right, help me, I'm broke, okay? That's what I don't <laughs> know how to say it, and I definitely don't have one. So how much did A.B. pay for his Rolls Royce? A, $215,000. B, $295,000. C, $315,000 or D, $350,000? I want to say D. 
350000 Okay, so final answer D, $350,000 is what AB paid for his Rolls Royce. Ugh. I feel like that's wrong, but I'm going to say final answer. You should trust your gut because it is wrong. The correct <laughs> answer is $315,000. You see me rolling. <laughs> they hate it. Is it riding dirty? <laughs> <laughs> you know why this is so hard? Because all of this to this people money, who don't have that money, money it just seems above so our heads. Ab- what? Exactly. This it's is so- exactly why we're doing MoCo trivia. I <laughs> want people to understand. This is, I mean, and I want to do a disclaimer that this is earned money. So I'm not Ooh, saying they no, should or should not spend should, their, money spend their money on that. I just love to hear these money them. games because look, I don't even know how to pronounce this stuff. Okay. <laughs> so this is what I'm trying to tell you. I'm out here trying to like, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm trying to figure out how to pronounce the thing. So moving on, moving on to Snooka Booker. <laughs> Why does she look <laughs> at me like that? Stare. Like she's trying to get me to get her a better question. Let me see what I can find for Snookabooka. <laughs> Don't do that. Give her whatever came up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, we're gonna go on to some ladies, okay? Because ladies is spending some money too. Yeah, right. put on those red bottoms. Okay. Yeah, you know I'm saying we're gonna go over to Miss Serena Williams while she may be retired. She still got them coins, okay? <laughs> Which Bentley model? Okay. (laughs) Which Bentley model did Serena Williams buy? Okay. And last time we did trivia, this is coming from Roy. Snook says she wanted to travel to Atlanta and choke me. Roy is reminding <laughs> us of what Snook said last time that I was so brave to do this trivia. So well, Snook, I just have a question before you read the A, B, oh, C, or D. Boy. Are okay. they all Bentleys? Because I'm not familiar with Bentleys. Are you just That's doing for some you junk to discern? You ain't gonna ask the person who wants to be a millionaire of the weakest link to clarify their answers and their their multiple choice. Y'all gotta put some respect on the host, all right? So I'm back at it with which Bentley. Did Serena Williams buy A, the Bentley Continental GT? Okay. B, the Flying Spur? C, the Bentagia? <laughs> okay, because look, y'all, gonna, I, this is going to be a mess of the way I'm pronouncing these things. Or oh D, the Mulsane. Could you repeat those, please? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> A, <laughs> the Bentley Continental GT. Oh, B, the Flying Spur. C, the Bentaga. D, the Mulsane. B. Oh, she said it with confidence. Unfortunately, <laughs> the one that was correct was the only one with the car in the name. A, Bentley Continental GT. I was going to say, oh. say Snook, why would you not say the one that actually had the name in it? You the one talking about, right. what is, are they all Bentleys? I the literally one with the Bentley thought that was a giveaway because she said she <laughs> don't know. Sometimes the easy one seems like trick ones. <laughs> Snook, where you at? Where's your, where's so your point at? What's Me going and Snoop, on? We both here with zero. We both here with zero. So, oh, is that <laughs> it? After two rounds, the final answer for these losers is Snook zero, Cole zero, and the winner is Sarina Grace. Wait, wait, so we already had two rounds. We yes. already. Rounds. 
We had two rounds. That's how it goes. We only go into the sudden death if there's a tie after two rounds. But unfortunately, nobody decided to battle it out for you. And so that's a wrap. Serena, I never felt nobody so upset about winning. She's over here trying to take your victory lap. I like to be your victory lap. You know, I like like tests. You know, I feel like this was a little bit easy. Just two questions. Come on. We we need to have some more questions. You won, boo-boo. Take your victory lap. Do you have anything you want to say to those losers that you just beat? You know what? Because <laughs> I'm scared for the next time. That's all <laughs> and that's all we have. We will see y'all on the next Moco Trivia. Gonna take me down next time. Here's a note to everybody. Get your coins up, okay? <laughs> So talking to Jamel Hill, she was probably the perfect person to have on this week with everything going on because she has business on social media, but she also is very aware of everything going on around her. And so I'm toxic positivity, as you guys know. So I'm going to curate my Twitter to be the nice, comfortable place that I say good morning, good people every morning. I'm going to create that atmosphere. So utilize the mute button, people. You can mute people. You can mute words. You can block people. You can block things. But for the people that are feeling some type of way about Cole calls it Toxic Tommy and his new Twitter. If you're feeling some type of way about that, curate your Twitter to how you want it to feel. All right. We'll see y'all next week. As y'all know, it's always a generational thing over here. And it's a positive one at that. (laughs) Peace. Hello, it is your partner, Big Boy. Interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood? Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello.